If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. I'm Austin, and BJ isn't here this week. He actually had some jaw trouble from yapping too much. (laughs) His real nice thank yous were just a little too enthusiastic, and he pulled something. Not really, but seriously, he did injure his jaw, and his doctor told him not to podcast. He ignored those orders and has podcasted for the past few weeks. Obviously, if you've listened to the past few episodes, you know he's been on here. But now his jaw is way worse, so he's taken a couple of weeks off to let it heal. But don't worry, uh, BJ still has supplied notes and his thoughts, all of that, put it together for uh, DQ4 this week. So he's not being left out of our final deep dive episode by any means. He's very much here in both words and spirits. I even put his face on a pillow again to bring back Beach Pillow. So Beach Pillow is here. Not really. I was too, way too lazy to do that. I did not. I did not go to such extravagant lengths as putting BJ's face on a pillow again. So usually with our show notes, uh, we have something like Maman Minds, for instance, written out, and then we talk about it for a bit. We don't have like verbatim what words we're going to say. We just have like a little note there to talk about minds. But for today, since BJ couldn't be here, he actually took the time to write out his thoughts, which I'll be reading throughout the course of this episode. So we're doing things just a little bit different in today's episode, but I still think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, it's episode four of our deep dive into Dragon Quest IV. This week, it's our final episode on Dragon Quest IV, so we're discussing some of our favorite towns, a little bit about the translation uh, controversy, let's call it, and just our final thoughts on the game in general. I should mention, there is a warning, as with our other deep dive episodes, there will be spoilers ahead, lots of spoilers, so consider yourselves warned. But first, we have a new patron, so we need to give that person a real nice thank you. Obviously, BJ can't do it since he's hurt and can't really talk very much right now. So I'm going to fill in and give the real nice thank you this week. This person asked to be anonymous, so maybe there's somebody famous. Maybe it's even Yuji Hori. (laughs) It's not Yuji Hori. But because they wanted to remain anonymous, uh, we want to honor their wishes uh, and keep them anonymous. But we tried to think of a fun way to do that. So we decided that we're going to call them the NPC villager in Riverton, because that kind of goes into talking about towns in in DQ4. See, so it all connects. See what we did there? So thank you, NPC villager in Riverton. We love you. And thanks so much for the support. Seriously, I cannot stress it enough how much we appreciate NPC Villager in Riverton and all of our Patreon patrons. You guys are all fantastic, and we really love every single one of you. 
So now let's talk about the towns in Dragon Quest Four. Now DQ Four it has a lot of good towns. Uh, some highlights for both BJ and myself uh, were Rose Hill. That's the town that's full of elves and talking animals. Uh, it's magical. It's nice. Uh, there's just something, you know, always whimsical about elves and talking animals. And then uh, there's Dun Plundering, that place where pirates are who are done plundering. You get it? Eh? Uh, they've settled and in this place and their descendants live there now. And it's called Dun Plundering, which is kind of fun to say. Dun Plundering, Dun Plundering, Dun Plundering. Uh, I'm not going to say it again. Dun Plundering. All right. Last time uh, for me. Early on, one of the standout towns is probably Shinnok. Uh, Shinnok? I don't know. It was called Foxville on the NES, which I kind of like better. It's the town uh, where the sneaky little foxes, they trick people into staying there. And it and kind of like Rose Hill, it's got some of that kind of fairy tale whimsy uh, that also kind of hints at more sinister stuff uh, because the foxes are, are there to lure people uh, and to keep from there forever. I mean, it's not exactly the nicest uh, motivations for these foxes. Uh, kind of like how uh, Archiotect, uh, the architect, you know, he gets lured there uh, by this like sexy fox lady. I mean, she's a lady, but she's really a fox. But that kind of surface level fairy tale with the more like sinister edges uh, underneath is a great way to really look at Dragon Quest Four overall or any Dragon Quest game really. Uh, because usually, despite silly, sometimes maybe storybook, fairy tale beats, uh, these games usually have some darker edges around them. Kind of like the fact that you get these this fairy tale fox village, uh, which seems all nice and whimsical, but you know they're basically leading people there to live there forever. I also really enjoyed the Romeo Juliet type story uh, that revolved around indoor and uh, value morale in Tornico's chapter. Uh, Tornico kind of helps them out. You know, there's Prince uh, Reagan and value morale, and then he needs to get letters to, I believe her name is princess Veronica uh, in indoor and and vice versa. Uh, And I kind of like that another almost not quite fairy tale. I wouldn't count Shakespeare as a fairy tale really, but kind of, fairy tale, old medieval Elizabethan type trope, I guess. Uh, it's kind of with going that with that Romeo uh, Juliet vibe that's happening over the course of of the whole Bally Morale indoor stuff. BJ's favorite town. Uh, he said, uh, this is BJ, by the way. I'm not going to do like an impression. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> but just know that BJ is saying this part. He said, Weirdly, I think my favorite town in the whole game was the Desert Bazaar. I really liked just kind of wandering between the tents and talking to the peddlers. Also, Riverton was pretty cool because I was sailing around and discovered it before I was technically supposed to. I had fun sailing around in there and the shop sold a dragon blade or dragon sword that was a ton better than my weapon. So it helped power through some of the upcoming content. So once again, those were two of BJ's kind of standout towns. Uh, Then, of course, we can't talk about towns without talking about the Pioneer Town, uh, also known as Immigrant Town, uh, that exists in Dragon Quest IV. I know we mentioned it a little bit in, I believe it was the character episode that we did when we were talking about Hank Hoffman Jr. 
because Hank Hoffman Jr., you know, is the one that starts Pioneer Town. He starts the settlement uh, after he leaves your party. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot with this town, which, by the way, that's new to the PlayStation and DS remakes. Uh, but I did create an NPC. I know I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I created the NPC for this town. I named him Beej. I gave him interests that BJ would like, uh, like running and eating. And I gave him like a dorky greeting to make him sound like that kind of authentic uh, grade A uh, beach that you know you guys who if you listen to this podcast regularly you kind of know exactly what I'm talking about uh, when I say dorky greetings <laughs> if I remember correctly so the, the way that this uh, town is set up is there's like different stages and uh, after you do a little bit more through the story or a little bit more with the town then you can unlock more and more with the town now BJ he said he didn't do anything with this town at all. Uh, I was trying to think uh, before we recorded this episode today, just how far I got uh, in this town. And I believe if I remember correctly, I think I made it uh, to stage three. Stage three unlocks after you fight a Stark. Uh, I had to look that up just to be sure. And uh, stage three, from what I can tell, was where I got. At least if I got further than that, I don't remember the other stages. So I can safely say today that I got to stage three in Dragon Quest Four. Uh, which really quickly, uh, I want to mention an NPC uh, named Prelvis Esley. Uh, he is perhaps the most lazily named <laughs> NPC in this entire game. Uh, but Prelvis Esley, he is what you would think of i mean it's meant to evoke elvis presley he's a bard uh and he says things like uh like hell to do hell dog and uh so because of that uh there is Prelvis esley who i just had to mention while we're talking about uh, hank hoffman jr's town in terms of dungeons i think probably uh maman mines is a standout for me uh, i know we talked about it a bit in one of our other episodes uh, that that idea that the miners dug too deep and unearthed the lord of the underworld, it's its creepy and cool. And not just because it reminds me of one of my favorite Stephen King books, Desperation. I mean, I just think it's cool in general. Uh, plus, there's a Stark. You know, he's a cool design, cool backstory. We talked about him a lot in our Monsters episode uh, right before this. And I'm, I'm sure that kind of cool design and backstory is why he's included in a lot of other uh, DQ games as well. In chapter four, you visit the Maman Mines uh, for the powder keg with Mina and Maya. And I mean, it was kind of interesting then. But for me, uh, I really liked it in chapter five. That's when everybody goes back there uh, to fight as Stark. And I know we, we talk to people regularly on Twitter about like, what's your favorite monster? What's your favorite town? Uh, that kind of thing. And at least one person said that Maman Mines was their favorite area in the game as well. One of their most memorable areas in the game. And then another person, when we were talking about the monsters, uh, referred to a Stark as uh, Sleepy Satan. <laughs> Which I thought, I thought it was funny. It really cracked me up. Uh, because when you think about it, Sleeping Satan is about what a Stark is. I mean, he's this guy that's been sleeping for like a thousand years. And I mean, he is the Lord of the Underworld. I mean, he, that's about as close... Uh, as a title to Satan as you can get. Another memorable one for me, at least, is uh, Diabolic Call. Diabolical, you get it, it's a pun. Diabolic Call, uh, it's where you have to disguise yourselves as monsters by using uh, the mod rod. 
Now, BJ really enjoyed using the mod rod uh, and some of the other uh, tools uh, that uh, were in Dragon Quest Builders 2. In one of those episodes, you can hear him talk about the mod rod uh, quite a bit. And you can also hear me in those episodes complain because I couldn't get the mod rod to work correctly uh, for like the longest time in that game. And it was kind of an early frustration in that game with me. Turns out I was just pressing a button way too hard, but it was kind of hard to figure that out on your own that that you're just pressing a button too hard. Uh, But anyway, we talked about the mod rod in DQ Builders 2 a lot in one of those previous episodes. But you get to use it in uh, Diabolic Hall in Dragon Quest 4. That's a pretty interesting and fun part of the game already, uh, but uh, it's it's cool, you know, that you get to turn into monsters using that mod rod because otherwise the monsters in Diabolic Hall are going to, like, attack you viciously. And in addition to all of that, it's also where everyone, I think for the first time when everyone's a party, it's where everyone as a whole complete party meets Sorrow for the first time. Uh, it's when he's given his little speech to all his monsters. He's kind of given his bad guy monologue, you know? Uh, so it serves uh, a unique story function as well at that part of the game. BJ, he also had a favorite dungeon from this game. Uh, he said, I think my favorite dungeon was the Stairway to Zenithia, which someone on Twitter also said was their favorite, by the way. Uh, BJ says, I was looking forward to getting to Zenithia at that point in the game, having never gotten through any of this trilogy before. I had my little angel buddy keeping me alive, and honestly, the whole spiraling up this heavenly pillar just looked cool. I should go back to the NES version sometime and look at the differences in graphics there, because I really like the way the two screens were handled on this part too. So BJ, you know, has talked about how he doesn't like the how some of the the screens are split in the DS versions of these games, uh, but last week he talked about one of the instances in which he kind of liked. Uh, the way that they split the screen. And so this is another one, apparently, where he liked the way that the two screens were handled uh, on the stairway uh, to Zenithia. And that kind of brings us to Zenithia in general. We can't do an episode over towns in Dragon Quest IV without talking about Zenithia. Zenithia, it's the floating castle in the sky. It's home to Zenithians, who are basically angels. Uh, it's the name Zenithia uh, that's given to the entire trilogy, four, five, and six. They're known as the Zenithia or Zenithian trilogy. Uh, so this is the first time you see any of that in the games. Uh, and it, I mean, it doesn't disappoint. Plus you meet the Zenith dragon who like is pretty impressive. And then, I mean, a floating castle, it's just always cool. Who doesn't love a floating castle? So in this next little bit, there are going to be just a few minor spoilers for 5, 6, and 3. So watch out. If you haven't played 5, 6, and 3 and you care about spoilers, you might want to press that skip ahead button by like 30 seconds or so. uh, Just while we talk about 5, 6, and 3 a little bit. So if you don't want those spoilers, uh, skip ahead. 30 to 60 seconds and all of that stuff should be out of the way but here's some spoilers for five six and three in regards to zenithia uh zenithia's appearance really doesn't change much in five even though its location you know it's fallen down into like a lake it's all sad now uh but and some story points they mix things up in five uh you get to use five as like a vehicle which is pretty awesome uh but otherwise in terms of just the actual layout of zenithia it hasn't changed much Uh, in 5 from the way it looked in in 4. In 6, though, it's known as Cloud's Gate Gate Citadel, 
oh my gosh, I don't know why I can't say Cloud's Gate Citadel. <laughs> it took me like 50 tries to get that out. Uh, and there's a reason that it's called that instead of Zenithia. It's because it hasn't become Zenithia yet. By the end of six, you know, it's up there floating in the sky and kind of becomes the Zenithia that you're going to visit in four and five. Uh, but at this point in the whole lore mythology, uh, it's just Cloud's Gate Citadel. And I also wanted to mention really quickly uh, that you can find Zenithia in some, I don't believe all, but some of the remakes of Dragon Quest III. Uh, they went back and added in Cloud's Gate Citadel into that one. Uh, it's called Cloud's Gate Citadel, just like it is in Six. Uh, the king there is named King Zenith. Uh, and But the real draw to that whole thing is that Zenlon is there. Zenlon, he's a dragon. He's a pretty famous dragon in the Dragon Quest series. So you are probably familiar with him already. If you're not, uh, just Google Zenlon. He's got a really cool design. But Zenlon is there in three. And if you defeat Zenlon, uh, then you can get uh, some a wish granted. You can choose from some wishes. Uh, very similar uh, to what happens in uh, Dresden's Labyrinth in Dragon Quest Eleven, If you've played that one before, maybe not three. Some, some of the wishes, they're kind of lame. You can get the sexy book, uh, which can make your personality sexy. Uh, I think it's called something else if, if you are a guy. Uh, but I'm just like, eh, like, is that really what I want to spend my wish on? Uh, but then some of the wishes are, are super cool. Uh, one of them is like reviving your father, Ortega. The great hero Ortega, who you watch die before your very eyes after looking for him for like a huge chunk of three. Uh, well, if you beat Zenlon, you can use a wish to uh, revive Ortega and he will show back uh, up at your house. Uh, so that's pretty cool. There are some good wishes to go along with some of the maybe more lame wishes uh, that are in the game. So before we get to talking about translations, final thoughts in the games, all of that good stuff, uh, it is that time of the show that we like to call Shameless Self-Promotion. Shameless, shameless, shameless. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I guess, uh, for that song. <laughs> uh, so really quickly, I did want to mention this. It's something that BJ and I did a couple of weeks ago that we totally forgot to mention on the show. Uh, but we did actually stream the Dragon Quest X event that's going on in Final Fantasy XIV. We mentioned that event on the show, and then we ended up actually creating alt characters uh, on Final Fantasy XIV uh, to stream the event and play through it. I ran through it really quick in advance uh, to get some of the items so that people could see those items while BJ played through the event. We ran around and did that together. Uh, that's actually on our mostly sadly neglected youtube channel uh we're working on putting out more stuff on our youtube channel because we realize just how sad uh, and neglected it is uh but if you want to check that out the stream itself is probably around like 45 minutes because we had to wait for a fate to spawn but if you want to see the dq10 event uh, and you haven't checked it out already, then head over to Dragon Quest FM's uh, YouTube channel. There's not like a fancy URL for it yet, uh, so you'll just have to look up Dragon Quest FM on YouTube. But it's one of like two videos that I think we have up at the moment. But we are planning on doing more with that YouTube channel in the future. While we're talking about YouTube, I did want to mention really quickly for our community spotlight uh, that one of our new Dragon Quest friends uh, that we've made is uh, Superfeels. Superfiles? I may be mispronouncing that, and I'm sorry. All I know is that his YouTube channel is cool. He's getting into the Dragon Quest series, 
And he has a pretty cool video up right now called Why I Love Dragon Quest. And we're going to link to it in our show notes. And we wanted to be sure and talk about it during the community spotlight segment today because we love Dragon Quest. If you're listening to this, the odds are that you love Dragon Quest. Uh, but there's just some really cool, interesting insights uh, into you know what gets people into Dragon Quest in the first place and, and what makes it so great. Uh, so I really encourage you guys to check out that video. I know he's got a couple of more. Uh, the most recent one that I can think of is uh, Dragon Quest Games We Need in the West, uh, which came out just a couple of days ago. So highly recommend checking this person out on YouTube. And once again, we're going to link to that in the show notes for today. So be sure uh, to check them out. For the last thing under sh- shameless self-promotion, I did really quickly want to mention a new podcast that I started. It's called JRPGs and Me, and it actually ties in pretty well to Dragon Quest FM because uh, it's kind of a direct result of the daily quarantine cast I was doing on Patreon a while back. You know, when all the pandemic lockdown stuff first started, I did daily minisodes on Patreon every single day for 50 days in a row. And if you're our patrons, you know, you can listen to those if you haven't already, but Got some good feedback on that. And also it was just really fun to talk about JRPGs that exist outside of the Dragon Quest series. And, you know, a little bit about how Dragon Quest influenced it or how it compared to another Dragon Quest game. But if you're listening to Dragon Quest FM and you're ever like, hey, I wonder what Austin thinks about this other JRPG that may be talking about it on Dragon Quest FM, like we couldn't sneak it into this uh, like episode, for instance. So then I'll go over there and record a quick episode about something uh, like Legend of Dragoon or Final Fantasy III. The most recent one that just went up is about Fantasy Life, which I definitely know I've mentioned on this show before because I love Fantasy Life. Uh, The one for next week that I already have recorded, ready to go, is actually about Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, uh, which maybe you're like, that's not a JRPG, Austin. But I would say it is. And you can listen to that episode next week and find out why I would say it's a JRPG. Uh, But really just thanks to all of our patrons for being really responsive to those daily quarantine casts and kind of getting me used to just sitting here talking by myself all the time. Uh, And uh, once again, you can check that out. The podcast is called JRPGs and Me. So let's get right back to our Dragon Quest IV episode. Now, Dragon Quest IV, it has like kind of a controversy, I guess, surrounding it in regards to the translations. Since this is our final episode on DQ4, we wanted to explore uh, some aspects of the game that we haven't really taken the time to to talk about yet. And the biggest thing that we've hinted at but haven't really discussed is the translation for the remakes. And because there was kind of a controversy surrounding that, we wanted to talk a bit about the translation for DQ4, and especially the Western DS remake and, you know, the versions after it, like the mobile version. Uh, the localization team went above and beyond uh, to make the world feel real by using dialects and accents. The localization uh, team, it was called Plus Alpha. And there's actually a really good interview uh, done on the DQ Shrine fan site. And we're going to link to that in today's uh, show notes as well. So if you want to read this whole interview uh, with them, then you can do that. Plus Alpha is the name of the company. DQ Shrine is the name of the site. Uh, It's a pretty interesting interview. It deals a lot with just the translation team because they've translated multiple Dragon Quest games. Uh, But there is a a pretty good chunk that deals with DQ4 and kind of the the controversy 
around it. But like I said, I mean, the localization team, they went like, like above and beyond for this thing. The, just the dialects and accents, probably the most famous ones that people remember are the Scottish and Russian accents. Uh, but there's French, Spanish, there's other accents in there too. And at the time, at the time when DQ4 first released uh, on the DS, I won't say a lot of people, but a chunk of people really hated it. And the team in this interview that you can read, the team even said they received hate mail uh, because of it. So BJ and I decided, you know what, for this final episode, we're going to talk about the translation a bit too, and just kind of what we thought about it overall. So BJ, he said, uh, honestly, the translation itself was great. I thought it was funny, and the characterization via dialogue was actually really good. I had no problem reading the dialect and actually thought some of the wordings in the different towns were funny because it's how some of my former international students uh, would say things. And I thought it was great, too. I said overall that I thought it was great uh, because it made the world come alive. I mean, I agree with BJ there. There's no there's no voice acting in Dragon Quest four. And, and because of the way the accents and dialects were handled, I, I could hear those voices. You know, if I just think about it, uh, I can hear it. And maybe granted, some of that is probably because these characters are voice acted in games like Heroes or Heroes 2. Some of the main characters are. Uh, but I think the translation team did a great job. Uh, you know, and some of the NPCs, they definitely aren't voice acted in Heroes games. And I can still picture the way they talk as well. I mean, it's just it's very vivid in my mind. And because of all of that, I think it's a great substitute for voice acting. That being said, I did have to reread some of the dialogue on more than one occasion. I know uh, BJ said he didn't have trouble with it, but I, I did. I mean, there was especially early in the game, uh, like in the Ragnar and Elena chapters. Maybe that's just because I wasn't used to it yet. Maybe it was because it was a, it was a new game and I was having to get used to the way all the accents and dialects and things show up in it. But for whatever reason, I eventually just got used to it and it didn't bother me uh, so much. BJ said that he thinks his biggest problem with the translation is that the narrative still didn't feel wholly connected, uh, which could have been fixed with various wordings and added dialogue since it was a remake instead of a port or a remaster. But like he said before, it may just be because he split it up over time and he wasn't doing chapters one through four back to back to back. Um, he's not here to defend himself, so I'm not going like, to give him too hard of a time again uh, like I have been in the previous episodes. But yeah, I don't know. I know he he has had a hard time coming o- overcoming the fact that it's a remake and not a port remaster. Like I feel like a lot of his complaints, uh, if you've listened to the previous episodes, come from the fact that it's a remake and they didn't remake enough of the stuff. Um, for me, I I thought it was all fine. And, you know, you've probably heard us debate this quite a bit in the previous episodes. So overall, though, uh, the two of us really did like the translations. Uh, we thought it was handled really well. And uh, despite a few complaints, you know, like me saying I had to reread some of the stuff and BJ saying uh, he thought they could have done more to to make the narrative more cohesive. But overall, uh, it seems like we both enjoyed at least the accents and dialects part of the translation. Uh, So, you know, good job to Plus Alpha. I mean, I really I think they did a fantastic job. And once again, you know, you can read that whole translation interview on the DQ Shrine. So check that out in the show notes. This brings us over to really our final thoughts uh, on Dragon Quest IV. Now we've talked about it 
for three episodes already. Uh, and each of those episodes are somewhere right around under an hour. So really, we don't have too much more to say about it than we haven't said already. Uh, but this is just kind of just, I guess, our thoughts on Dragon Quest Four that we wanted to end with to kind of put a cap on all four episodes. So that if you start with episode one and then follow it all the way to the end here, uh, this is just kind of uh, the end. Uh, like I said in one of the earlier episodes, this is probably my favorite game outside of DQ11. Uh, I think the cast and the story are great. Sorrow, he's my favorite villain. And I just love how well everything comes together in, an end, in the end. Uh, the first four chapters and the prologue, they leave these little like breadcrumbs along the way. And then it's just like, boom, it all comes together in chapter five to push the story uh, toward its you know climax and then ending. But I know BJ has other thoughts on the matter. Uh, So I'm going to let BJ share some of those thoughts right now. BJ said, I still think this is the weakest of all the DQ games I've played. I'm glad that I've played it, uh, but I don't think I'm going to play this one again. I might at some point speed run through chapters one through four again, just in a row to see if that changes my view. But as a whole game, I doubt it. I'm glad that I played it though, because I can totally understand why other people feel as though it's one of the best in the series. And I I would kind of say, just kind of bouncing off what BJ said there, I think that BJ liked it less because of spreading out the chapters over the course of a year and playing so many other games in between. Uh, You know, he started this game last summer in like June, I think. It wasn't too long uh, into our very first season when we were talking about him uh, booting up Dragon Quest 4 for the first time. And I know he's he's qualified his complaints with the game a lot by saying, hey, I spread this out a lot. And I really honestly do agree with him. Uh, and I know, you know, we've talked to some people online about it as well. And I agree with them that I think that's a big part of, his, of him missing the disconnect there. Uh, so who knows? Uh, his opinion might change uh, if he deci- does decide to speed run it or replay it. It might not change at all. Uh, or it might change a lot kind of like my opinion has changed with Dragon Quest 7. I mean, uh, BJ's playing Dragon Quest 7 right now. Uh, I've re- played it twice now, so I'm sure we're going to be doing a DQ7 uh, deep dive really, really soon. But if you listen, go back and listen to those early episodes of DQFM, read some of my earlier posts on, on DQ7 that I did on my blog. You know, I really did not like Dragon Quest 7 the first time I played it. Like, I hated on it a lot. And then since replaying it a second time, a little over a year later, you know, I've come to really appreciate it and liked it a lot, way more than I ever thought I would. And I know we will get into that eventually more in depth whenever we talk about DQ7, you know, in a deep dive on the show here. Uh, So I guess what it really comes down to with BJ's and my, you know, kind of debating back and forth about DQ4 is that. Do you compare Dragon Quest IV to JRPGs that are out now, or do you look at it as a relic of its time? You know, that's BJ's whole thing is that because it's a remake, he feels like they should have done more quality of life improvements to bring it up into the the 21st century. Whereas I'm a little more lenient towards it, I guess. I'm like, yeah, it's an NES game. The the stuff that they did improve on and remake. Uh, for the DS version, PlayStation version, mobile version, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I see as improvements overall, 
And I think BJ sees them as improvements. I think his whole thing is probably just that it didn't take it far enough. Like the quality of life improvements that are in the remakes are good, but there should have been more than what's left in there. And just from a personal standpoint for me, it's hard for me to strictly do either one. I can't just compare it to RPGs that are out there now and releasing now or releasing at the time the DS remake uh, hit. And I also, I can't look at it as a relic of its time either. I kind of have to look at it both ways. Uh, and, and looking at both, I, I think Dragon Quest IV still holds up really well. And am I biased because it's my second favorite game in the whole Dragon Quest series? Probably. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I mean, that is how I feel and trying to just be as objective as possible here. I think it, it works well as both a relic of its time being a DS remake from like 2008. Uh, but I also think it works just really good as a JRPG in general. And it definitely works great if you're just, you know, looking at it purely from like a 1990 uh, perspective. So that does it for our show today. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, remember, you can talk to us on Twitter at DragonQuestFM or at facebook.com slash dragonquestfm and at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. If you want to talk to me personally, then you can find me on Twitter at dragonquaston. My Dragon Quest blog is at dragonquestaustin.com, and there's actually a new post up there this week uh, to celebrate the 10th anniversary of DQ9. Uh, DQ9 turned 10 years old on July 11th, this past Saturday, and I wrote up a post about it and just kind of level five's working relationship with Square Enix. So if you want to read about, you know, celebrating the 10th anniversary of DQ9 here in the States, uh, then you can check that out on DragonQuestAustin.com. Don't forget, you can buy my new Dragon Quest book. It's called the Dragon Quest book, and it's on sale now on sites like Amazon. Just a big shout out to all of the people who have bought it already, who've read it already, and who have reviewed it already. Uh, So thank you guys so much. Remember, if you want to talk to BJ, you can find him on Twitter. He's at at ProfessorBeej. And you can listen to him on his other podcast, the geek to geek podcast. And remember, the geek to geek Network has a website, Geek2GeekMedia.com. It also has its own Slack and Discord channels. So be sure to check all of that out. Thanks, everyone. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.